Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Luke 1, 68 through 79. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. How are we doing this morning? We doing good? We live. That's great. That's my fault on the slides. I, I made the slides. I must have deleted the, the second half. Meg did a great job. Let's give it up for Meg. Wow. Um, as you see, I'm doing double duty today. So if any of you want to be on the worship team, show of hands, singers, worship team. Just kidding. Like, just put yourself out there right now. That's great. Um, yeah, if anyone actually, legitimately, if anyone has that sort of gifting in your life, um, you know, come and talk to me afterwards. It'll be, it'll be great. Peace. Peace. What a nice, nice sounding word. The rising sun, as the, as the text we just read says, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Today, we're going to take some time to meditate on, to hear what the Spirit has to say to us about this path of peace. And it looks a little bit like this. You're gonna, I have some graphics for you today. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's you, and that's peace. We'll attempt in our time together to walk along this path and maybe even receive a glimpse of it. So today, here's, here's what I'm telling you my goal is. It is not to get you to learn about peace, to take in some intellectual information and leave a little bit smarter than you were before. This is my actual offering this morning that we might experience in this time peace. So you're listening to me, right? I have the microphone. Great. Good job. Cool. But listen, as you're listening, open your heart up to what the Spirit might have to say to you today, because it's not my voice or what I'm saying that's going to bring you peace today. It's the very voice of the Spirit talking to each one of you individually and to us as a community. My week of uh, peace, or my path to peace, actually began with chaos. It did not begin with peace. I was awoken Monday morning as I was going to start preparing. I'm not 
I wasn't going to start preparing this early, but I was going to start preparing around 6.30 a.m. and get into it and open up the Bible and pray. But two hours before 6.30 a.m., at 4 a.m., I woke, I was awoken by my wife uh, coughing directly into my ear canal. And uh, my son simultaneously waking up and in infant language, doing what I can only imagine was threatening me to get him out of his crib um, if I didn't take him out and, you know, go give him his bottle and all that. It just felt like a, a sort of tempered chaos. It's not, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal, but enough when you're woken up out of your sleep to feel like, oh, Lord, what's going on? To feel like I have been betrayed by God because I was supposed to experience peace. Lord, I'm supposed to be an example of peace this week. I thought you were going to show me the path of peace, the path of peace. Turn to someone around you and say the path of peace. Then uh, as I tried to follow my own path of peace in the much too early hours of the morning, I began searchingly, searching desperately for some manufactured version of that pathway. Cough suppressants, a warm bottle of milk for the child, steam shower, humidifier, Sesame Street to distract the monster. The monster and the child are the same person, by the way. A pillow over my head, whatever I could do to get some version of peace, all the while wondering and maybe cursing under my breath a little bit, where a true sense of peace could be found. Have you recently lacked a sense of peace in your life? Have you hoped for peace? We began this Advent season, this expectant season, setting our eyes, our ears on the hope of Jesus. Zechariah, in the book of Zechariah, he, he reorients a captive people towards a transcendent freedom found in God and the promise of Messiah. He calls those people, those captive people, a prisoner or prisoners of hope. So they are captive in this place, experiencing oppression, darkness, and Zechariah comes with the word of the Lord and reorients their hearts and says, you're not prisoners of this land that you find yourself in. You're prisoners of hope, bound to a hope that is found in the coming Messiah that is here now and is not yet here, but you can hold fast to it even now. This is a beautiful redirection of a very real pain that they were experiencing. In this, you can see how promise can supersede our present pains. It frees us. It makes sense, then, that we, as we see hope and as we maybe even attain a hope, that we ask, what is it that we're hoping for? What is it exactly that we're expecting to see, that we want to come to us. Today, we'll take some time to read the words of another Zechariah, a couple of centuries removed in the time of Roman occupation of Israel. Zechariah is a priest in the temple, and he's about to see the first mo movements of this long-promised hope finally coming to his people. Let's read this together. I'm going to read this from my Bible. You don't if you want to turn there, you can go ahead and turn there. It's Luke 1, 11 through 22. If you don't have a Bible, it's not going to be up on the screen, so maybe just close your eyes. Here's a story. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zechariah, 
standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But then the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have a joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, that Lord being the Messiah, Jesus. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. A little marriage tip for you there. If you're old, your wife is advanced in years. The angel answers and said uh, to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not trust my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people outside the temple were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept on making signs to them, and he remained mute. So Zechariah, this priest in the, in the temple, he has this wife, and they're, they're uh, advanced in years, and I didn't read it here, but she's been unable to have a child they're, they're getting old, and they're like, okay, we've probably moved past that point in our lives. And he's going about his life, his job as a priest in the temple, which he's been selected for. And he has this vision, and the angel of the Lord says to him, you're going to have a child, and this child you're going to name John, and this John is going to prepare the way for the Messiah, the Messiah that Zechariah promised would come, the hope that everyone's been waiting for. And uh, Zacharias... It's like, I don't, what? What are you talking about, man? I'm old. My wife is old, which is really interesting. He hears the promise that he's heard so many times. He's been righteous. He's, he's you know, done all the things he's supposed to. He's heard this promise many times, but there's doubt. It seems that maybe he's heard the promise so often with so little movement towards that promise that he's wondered where peace is for so long that even with this potent vision and message from an angel, he's still faced with doubt. Any of you guys know what an angel looks like? Just go home and search biblically accurate angel. It'll uh, bless you on today. But you know, you can maybe, who knows what the angel looked like? But can you imagine someone appearing before you in some sort of vision? Maybe this thing has like 15 wings and eight eyes or whatever. And just read the Bible. It's in there. And, and you look at that thing that's telling you you're going to have a son. And he's going to prepare the way for the Lord and going, eh, I don't know. Can you imagine that? 
Can you imagine, you can't even imagine the first part, the 15 wings and the eight eyes thing. You can't even get there. But can you imagine your emotional response at seeing that? First fear, but then the skepticism that is kind of beset in us of people who don't usually see miracles, of people who often doubt. And we sometimes attribute doubt to our modern sensibilities, like we're rational thinking people. But as you see, a couple thousand years ago, this guy was doing the same thing. He's still faced with doubt, even in the face of a biblically accurate angel. Go look that up. Do you ever wonder, it's more of a joke, if you look it up and you're like, oh my gosh, don't be afraid. That's what the angels usually say, actually. Uh, Do you ever wonder how God's working in your life? Or if he's truly working at all? Have you ever let doubt seep into your soul when faced with the chaotic realities around us? I'm going to say this, and I'll come back to this, but the story of God and humanity, in the story of God and humanity, chaos is often the canvas that God uses to realize peace. Chaos is often the first stop on the path to peace. There's the next part there. Look, there's you, and here's the first step on the path to peace. Chaos. Thanks, Lord. When we begin to doubt, when we begin to become, um, when we falter and wonder, and maybe even God's spoken to you or given you a word about this coming peace, this approaching peace in your life and in the story of the cosmos, we doubt and we begin to try to cope with it in our own way because we're waiting. We're like, okay, you're talking about peace. Here's this idea or this uh, you know, vision of peace that I have, but it's not close to me. I'm not standing in it. And so we try to manufacture, like I did the other day, our own version of peace. We use our control mechanism to find a manufactured version of peace. How many of you this morning want to know how to cope with chaos? (laughs) I would actually like to know how to do that. Um, We don't worry, you already do it. Most of us already do. I'm going to give you a couple of ways uh, to cope with chaos this morning. And this is a little bit satirical, like you shouldn't do these things, but this is what we find ourselves doing. The first thing that we often do is we curate. We curate. Oh, if I can just get my life aesthetically pleasing enough, then maybe this chaos won't feel so chaotic We attempt to dress up the situations we find ourselves in, to cover with fig leaves the mess of our lives, like Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, God, I'm going to hide myself behind Instagram filters, behind interior design, behind six-pack abs. I don't have them. Behind whatever, whatever might dress up this chaos in my life, the mess of my life. I don't want anyone to see it. I don't even want you to see it, God. I don't know if you're looking, but if you are looking, I don't want you to see it, so I'm going to dress it up. I'm going to curate for myself a world in which I can't sense the chaos that's there. These are all signs of of mistrust, that God wouldn't be gentle with us, that God wouldn't be patient with us with the mess of our lives. And so we kind of we fake it. Like 
Adam and Eve in the garden saying, we, we felt uh, naked or we were naked. We realized we were naked. We realized in a moment that our lives were a mess, that there was chaos broken out into the world. So we hid. Have you ever done this? Have you ever used this coping strategy, curation? The second thing is a consumption or to consume. Now, there's, this kind of overlaps with the first thing a little bit, but uh, this is our temptation. This is uh, one of our coping mechanisms, and it's kind of twofold. One can be the accumulation of goods, and that's kind of what we find in this season, right? Like everything is screaming at you to get more stuff. How many people have like clicked at least three times on Amazon since December 1? Three times? Let's, let's say four. Let me hear it for four. Five, 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 six, seven, 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 eight, nine, nine. Like, yeah, like you, you've, done, <laughs> you've done the work already. And maybe those gifts are for other people. That's great. This, this season can be about uh, gifting. But there's even something in that where we feel like, oh, if I can just be this giver and, and accumulate a, a number of gifts that I've given out or that I've received, whether those goods are necessities or have been pitched to you as necessities, it's seen as a security blanket. Oh, like if I can just get enough stuff, like maybe that person I see over there and just going back to social media, you hop on there and you see this person with that or you see an ad for that and, and it's telling you, oh, if I have that thing or if I can give that thing, your brain is actually telling you, oh, more things, more glory equals food, safety, it equals water, it equals necessity. That's not necessarily true. That's part of our lizard brain telling us like, oh, that person has a lot, so they have everything that I need. And I want to take a moment to talk about glory here. How many of you actually know what the word glory means? Or if you were to paint a picture of glory, what would it be? Anyone? Glory, this word, it's not just like a... Um, it's not just like an ethereal thing. You can have glory in your life today. How many of you guys know that you can have glory in your life today? A version of glory, at least. Maybe the coping version of glory in your life. If you were to say, uh, man, I have much glory in my life, what you might point to is the things that you have. Oh, this is, uh, you know, let's say I was dressed head to toe in a Gucci or something like that, which is, you know, maybe you're here and you're rocking Gucci and welcome. Hey, tithe. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, that was a dumb joke. Uh, maybe you're, you would say, okay, this, this, these clothes, these clothes are the, the glory of Shua. So you're witnessing today the glory of Shua. Or I, my man John here, every time I see him, I'm like, John, you're fitted, man. You're dressed. He comes dressed. He comes with the hat, everything. I'm not going to tell you who John is because I don't want to feel embarrassed. But like you've seen him. You know he's looking good. That's the glory. The glo you're witnessing the glory of John. When you look out into world and you look out into creation, and you look out into the created order around you, a part of that is actually you're seeing the glory of God. Uh, when somebody or uh, somebody, maybe you go see a therapist and they have that thing on the wall that tells you, hey, I'm a certified therapist, I'm a doctor, look at my doctorate, I'm from, from SDSU or wherever, that's the glory 
of that person. It's, their, it's the thing they've accumulated or created or made out of their lives to show to the rest of the people who they are. And so when we see sing songs like, God, show me your glory, we're saying, show me who you are. Show me what you're made of. And we often try to acquire our own glory. That's a form of consumption, of taking. I'm going to take this glory for myself. I'm going to call it my own. This might be in position. This might be in a degree. This might be in a pay raise. This might be in your style. You know, you could be fitted this morning. That's okay. But that can be a form of idol, of glory. This can be food. This can be in like understanding cultural conversation. I need to see every movie that comes out so I can know what's going on because that's going to be a part of my identity, a part of my glory. And Jesus says to us, as we you know, attempt to, in the world's way, acquire glory, acquire a sense of peace because it gives us a, a version or a facade or facade. I don't know how to say that word. Facade. There we go. I was just thinking about the spelling of it, not how it actually sounds in real life. A facade of peace. Jesus says to you, this is how I give you peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give as the world gives. My glory doesn't look like the glory of the world. And oftentimes we find ourselves envying or wanting the glory of the world. This is consumption. We attempt to consume as if that would give us some sense of peace. Um, funny example of this real quick. Uh, how many of you have seen The Crown? The Crown, such a good show. Y'all aren't watching The Crown? You need to be watching The Crown. If not, just to understand this example. The Crown is about Queen Elizabeth and her journey. It like, takes you through her whole life and like three different actresses play Queen Elizabeth. Rest in peace. Uh, and she, you know, she starts out in the 50s, I think she becomes queen, maybe the 40s. And she's queen all the way up until literally this year that she passed and it follows her life. And that show is so good and it is so depressing. Like, my wife puts it on, and if I'm not in a good mood, I'm like, I cannot watch that with you. Because this show about the richest, most power, some of the most powerful and richest people in the world is so depressing to me. Like, I can't, I can't do it. Because the show could essentially be just called, like, crying in palaces or something like that. Because the whole time you would imagine that the richest, most powerful people in the world who have acquired so much glory would experience some semblance of happiness or peace. And just every episode is them yelling at each other or, like, crying. Like, and it's, it's, it's not meant to be funny. It's like, wow, it really gives you empathy for a person that you're so removed from. But if you, like, take a step back, you're like... I think she's crying in a $50,000 chair. She's just like, and it's just like gold in her hands or like on her head or whatever. And you're like, whoa, it's a good lesson we can learn though. We can learn from the rich. We can learn from the powerful. Oh, acquiring glory of our own, it won't give me peace. My favorite, my favorite form of uh, coping would probably be escape, which is the next stop or the next distraction, escape. I don't even know if I, yeah, that I did. I put it in there. This is the option I find the most attractive. As the year comes to a close, around this time, around Christmas time, I experience what you might call the opposite of a thrill of hope. A thrill of hope. I, I experience kind of the opposite of that. I experience a thrill of nope. I don't want to do any of this Christmas stuff. 
I'm like, ah, I just if we could just get to the new year so I don't have to like do all the things. And I don't know, maybe it's like genetics. My dad wasn't like always like, yeah, let's put up the tree and let's do the whole thing. And I was kind of fine with that. I was like, cool. Like, then I have to do less stuff. It's like yearly senioritis that I get, right? How many of you are seniors right now? Students, you're seniors, or you're about to be seniors, or you're junior. How many of you are juniors? College, high school, I'm literally looking at some of you that are juniors and seniors, and you're just not raising your hand. So that's weird. Um, that's, just, that's just weird. <laughs> um, you're there, and you're in senioritis. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go. Like, this, is, this has been great. This has been fun. I made some friends, or maybe I didn't, and I'm, I'm out of here. I'm ready to go. That's how I feel every year around Christmas time. I'm like, good year, good deal, great. I'm out. Let's go to the new year. Thrill of nope, nope, I don't want this. Maybe it has something to do with like my PTSD. I like did church for, I've done church and been a part of church for a really long time. And man, we used to do like, this is like the peaceful kind of calm version of Christmas services. But imagine like a 50,000 foot stage and then they swing me from the rafters and there's like, I don't know, real angels. They hired real angels to come for the service and so beautiful, but so exhausting. And so I'm like, no, let's just skip Christmas. And so I kind of try to escape. I try to hide away from all the complications of this season, whether it be family stuff or even just like the nice things that other people like, decorating and baking cookies and all these things. I kind of find myself like the Grinch. Like I go off into my mountain and I, I don't know, I love that movie. That's such a weird movie. Uh, Jim Carrey's Grinch. He's like wearing that yodel outfit. That's me. I'm wearing the, with the short shorts. Um, I go off and I just want to seclude myself. This uh, issue, the issue with this though, is as I try to manufacture my own introverted version of peace, I'm then left with myself. And as I attempt to take a deep sigh of relief, having escaped all that seems to overwhelm my world, I find that I remain unable to breathe. And that, that presence that's smothering me is actually my own presence. The chaos, it's not just the circumstance around me as I try to cope. It actually comes from right in here. And if I try to go with, towards myself on my own terms, I lose every time, right? It's just like Taylor Swift, the great philosopher, said to us, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. That was so dumb. I thought about that for like a week. Ordering chaos and knowing peace is not a game of, hum of like the human power of will. Order was intended to be done in partnership with a loving father, but we turn our backs on God. So you get alone and you like, okay, maybe you're, you're, you've done the thing. You're like, okay, I'm alone. I can finally have peace. And you find that war erupting from within. That's called in the, the you know, if I didn't dress it up, that's just the sin in our lives. Even if we get alone. So if we if we consume enough and acquire enough glory, we're still left lacking peace. If we dress up our lives and hide under fig leaves, we're still found lacking peace. If we escape and find ourselves finally alone in some place, maybe you're just, we've, we've gotten our sweet little space, we've cut people off, we've set our boundaries, all these things, we still find ourselves lacking peace because there is something within that is out 
of order. And this is where we come to the next part on the path of peace. Something so fun. War. Say war. How many of you are firmly acquainted with war? Most of us are not. Maybe Call of Duty or something like that. But war. And, and right now, I know what you're, you're, you're maybe thinking. You're like, wow, this morning we're talking about peace. And so far, we've talked about chaos and war. Great stuff. This doesn't sound peaceful at all, but bear with me. Maybe this will change your mind. Just close your eyes. Close your eyes and think just for a moment. Just hear these words of Jesus. I have not come to bring peace, but instead a sword. That's not very peaceful at all, actually. Open your eyes. I'm sorry. Those are the words of Jesus. Those are the words of Jesus. But this is still illuminating the path to peace. This is Jesus. This is maybe Jesus's way of saying this is war. The genre that you find yourself in in humanity's narrative is not a rom-com. It's not one where everything just kind of like falls into place. You bump heads with Jesus. You jo- both drop your books and you both like reach down and then he touches your hand and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so in love. That's not the genre that you find yourself in today. It's more likely as we look at the narrative of scripture and these people that have chaos and war within that we find ourselves in a war movie. Jesus doesn't go to war with you, though. He, the sword is not for you. It's not to, like, destroy you. Jesus goes to war with the chains that hold you, with the sin that binds you. And instead, like Zechariah talks about, he binds you to hope. First John 3.8, he said, I've come to This is not very peaceful language, but it's real. I've come to destroy the works of the enemy. How do we get to peace? And this, before we get to peace, we have to get to, to, to justice. I, I, I've come to destroy the works of the enemy. I've come to overcome the world, Jesus says in uh, John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have my peace. How did, how did he get the peace? In this world, you, have over, you, have, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. How do you get to peace? It's because Jesus has overcome the world. How many of you know what that word overcome means? That's not a gentle rom-com sort of word. Overcome can literally be like defeat. Like I have defeated in this battle that we find ourselves in. Jesus has defeated the temptations, the pressures, the oppression of the world for the sake of peace. And it's not just in inner peace. The peace that Jesus brings is a peace that ends the war between us and God, one that we are never going to win and one that Yahweh didn't necessarily take pleasure in or start. See, we declare war on God. All of those coping mechanisms we talked about, those are the ways we essentially say, even in small ways, like, okay, God hasn't come through, and so it's time for me to be my own God. It's time for me to make my own way. It's time for me to alone order the chaos of this world like God is meant to do for myself. I'll be my own God. And this is how we declare war 
on a God that really wants to come alongside us and work together to order the chaos of this world. And so because there's this war that we've declared, someone has to step in and end the war. Someone has to be an ambassador of peace. Someone has to come and literally change our insides and rewire and reorder the chaos within us so that we'll say, oh, I can see it now. I can see it now. You're the one that orders the chaos. You're the one that brings peace. And so this pathway of peace is not primarily therapeutic. Before it ever gets there, Jesus does the work of tearing down the wall of enmity between us and the Father by his incarnation. So when we talk about Advent, the expectation of the coming Lord, we're not just talking about, oh, Jesus, you're coming to bring peace that'll like solve all my sort of small life problems, or maybe those problems feel big, but even bigger than that issue is the issue between you and God, and he's come in, in flesh to live the life we cannot live and actually show us the way towards peace. He's illuminating the path to peace in his life, death, and resurrection. Before we get to peace, we have to have justice, right? We have to have justice because some of you, you know about justice. How, How many of you have ever experienced being wronged in this life or feeling like something was taken from you too early or you feel like something you've been robbed of something whether it be a relationship or a friendship whatever it might be in your life there must be peace and there must be justice in order to get to peace the first thing that must be justified or rectified is our relationship to the father romans 5 1 therefore since we have been justified through faith Look at the order. We have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Luther King uh, said, the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. So if you feel like you've had injustice in your life, you can hope and see that there's justice coming. And I'd say that the relational arc of the universe bends towards peace. There's war, there's enmity, so there's a relational thing that's happening between me and God, and maybe that's been broken. That bends towards peace in the end because Jesus has justified us through faith. It's nothing that we do. It's not our coping mechanisms that makes this happen. It's actually just faith. We don't earn it. We don't strive to make God love us again because that's us still attempting to be our own gods. It's believing first and expecting Advent peace. Peace is not an emotive thing. Peace is relative, found in relationship to God, in relationship to Jesus, the Prince of Peace. With the personification of peace in mind, today I submit to you or ask us together as a community to reorient our vision of peace. Peace has actually come to us. So here's, here's the pathway to peace as it should be, as it should be. Uh, it's not you on one end moving towards peace through chaos and through war. Do you see it? 
It's actually that the person, the personification of peace, has ordered the chaos of this world and created a canvas on which you can actually experience justification through Jesus, and, it, and he gets to you. He's coming to you. This is the expectation. This is the hope that as we gather together, we're not together going, okay, now if we can sing loud enough and if we can pray hard enough, the Spirit of God might come to us and it's going to be so good. No, it's the other way. If we can just sit still long enough, if we can just sit still long enough and get out of our heads and maybe get out of the cultural pressures that say, you need to stuff your life to the brim with Christmas goodness. Then I might find some version of peace. No. We come together to sit still and wait for God that is coming to us today. You might feel like, uh, we're coming to the end here, you might feel like the disorder and chaos of this world is too much, like the mess of your life is maybe too much for God, and you're thinking, okay, that sounds great, but does he really want to come to me today? Like my life, my mess, my family uh, of origin, my things in my life that seem off, like you're maybe too much, or like maybe you're not enough, like you're not worthy enough for God to come and approach you, like the storm within moves too fiercely for anyone to calm it. But if it is true that Jesus is our peace, then in the narrative of God, and I said I'd come back to this, in the narrative of God and humanity, we can clearly observe, pretty clearly observe that chaos, that the mess of your life, that the brokenness that you might bring and offer to God is actually God's preferred canvas. He wants to actually work with the chaos of your life. If we go back to Genesis, which is fun, so many things, just go back to the first book of the Bible. You could read that over and over and over and over again, and you'd find insight, 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 insight into what God is doing. The beginning, it says, in the beginning, uh, there was, it doesn't actually say there was nothing. There's no ancient concept of nothing. In the beginning, there was, the, the earth was formless and void. That's one translation of it. The Hebrew is tovu vavohu, which means like blank, desolate. It's not, a, it's not a peaceful picture. It's actually, if you think about like the primordial ooze or whatever, you're thinking about like a barren land where seas are raging, where there's volcanic like movement in the earth. It's, it looks like chaos. In the narrative of scripture even, it seems that the first thing that God works with is a chaotic world, and he comes and he orders it and he brings life and he forms us out of the dust of that mess. He wants to do the same thing in you today. If he can work with volcanic eruptions and earthquakes and tornadoes and seas raging, he can work in your family relationships that seems a little bit torn right now. If he can work with all that, he can work with your sin that you can't seem to get away from. He can work with that as long as you come and you bring it to him. This is why we come to the table, and we'll do that in just a minute. And when you finally see this, when you finally see that, that chaos or, or the brokenness that we, I mean, this is what we have to offer as humans, brokenness that we have to offer is what God most 
consistently works with, you might be able to find yourself singing like Zacharias. Or maybe sing like you haven't sang before. You start sounding like him. And you say, wow, you know what? The rising sun has come to me from heaven to shine on those living in darkness, not to shine on those that have their lives together, not to shine on those who have like dressed up their lives or acquired much glory or gone off and secluded themselves from all the bad things of this world. To shine on those living in darkness, that's where light is needed, and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace, which he has already walked for us through the chaos, through the war. Let's take a moment and close our eyes. I'm not going to fake you out this time. Close your eyes. What peace... I know I said it's not primarily therapeutic, but we're going to come to the table together to acknowledge the, the, cosmic, the cosmic restoration that God has done by his life, death, and resurrection. Let's take a moment to, to actually address your lives. What peace might he paint on the canvas of your life? Now that you know that he has come to you, now that you know that God actually prefers to work with the mess that might be going on within. What peace might be found if you sit still and have a sort of meditative recognition of a faithful God that brings peace to us? Do you want to receive peace today?